Good morning. How's everyone this morning? Uh, We are excited this morning to be starting a little two-week series on community. Last week, we looked at eternal perspective, and we talked about how we need to be filling our lives with things that matter for all eternity, that the things of this earth can never fill us, and eventually, they are going to pass away. But if we focus our our mind and our attention and our thoughts on the things of God, then uh, those are the things, and we invest in those relationships and, and those activities that will well up to eternal life, that those are the things that are truly going to fill us. Those are the things that are going to... Um, be life-changing for us. And so this morning, we kind of want to continue in that, in that thought, but we're beginning a series on, on community. And here's the thing about our society is that more and more and more, we are moving away from community. We're moving away from this, and you say, well, you know, we've got things like Facebook, and, and we should be more connected than ever, but the reality is that we're just not. That we're not. And, and let me give you a, a couple things that I've noticed about our society. And the first is that we have this, this tendency towards individualism. Now, individualism is an unhealthy belief in the virtues of, of self-reliance and personal independence. Now, a little bit of that is good. You know, I, I'm not going to depend um, too much on somebody else. But we've taken it to an unhealthy extreme. So what we've got is we start with individualism. Individualism means that, you know what, what I want to do is the most important thing, and pretty soon that leads to this mentality that I am supreme over everything in my life. And that leads us to a point where we're no longer willing to not just serve in our community or sacrifice for community, we just don't want to have anything to do with community at all because we want to do what we want to do when we want to do it. And as I thought about that this week, uh, how many of you know I have a two-year-old little girl? She'll be two on September 10th. Um, Now, she would never do this because she's my daughter, uh, but it reminded me of two-year-olds. Like, they want to do what they want to do when they want to do it, and if they don't get their way, what happens? What happens? They throw a fit, and and she would never do this. Like I said, my daughter um, would never, ever do this. You guys understand sarcasm? Okay. All right. So she would never... Uh, try to climb in her chair, and when daddy helps her, throw herself on the ground and go, ah, I want to do it, I want to, I want to do it. She wanted to do it by herself. She's throwing a fit. And, and why? Because she's independent. She's an individual. But here's the thing, that, that individualism leads us uh, to some isolation. We, be, we get isolated uh, and we find ourselves uh, in this place of, of loneliness. And, and actually, I, I should, before we go there, let's go to loneliness. We find ourselves being lonely. We're alone. Why? Because we've separated ourselves from everyone in every relationship that we have. And many people in our society today actually lack true relationships. You are surrounded by people who know you, but you don't know them. Like they know your name, but they don't really know you. You may have a thousand friends on Facebook and not a single one of them, other than when Facebook tells them it's your birthday, they would never know it's your birthday. And so you know all these people, know all these people, but you don't really know them and they don't know you. And so there's this feeling of loneliness and that loneliness comes around and it leads to isolation, feelings of isolation. I'm isolated I just don't feel like anyone cares for me. I don't feel like anyone knows me. Um, And many people, we go out of our way, all right, tell me if this hits a little too close to home, we go out of our way 
to not have to interact with the people who are actually around us. Let me tell you, anybody ever experienced that? Come on, you can be honest, you're in church. Like that person in the coffee shop that's, that's you know, looking at you, making eye contact with you, and you're like, I better get back in my book, they might talk to me, right? And, and we just don't want to interact with people. And, and we end up in this place of, of loneliness. We draw within. And here's what we try to do. Uh, that loneliness leads us to consumerism. So all those relationships that we should be having and that we want to have, uh, we try to fill our lives with other stuff. We think, you know what, if, if I just have more money, then I can buy more stuff and that stuff will make me happy. Or, or I can go on more trips and those things will make me happy. And, and if I just have, if I just have the, the, the house at the lake and the boat to go along with it, then I'll truly be happy. And here's the irony of that. You end up working more hours so that you can afford the house at the lake and the boat, so much so that you never have time to use the house at the lake and the boat, right? And you, you try to fill your life with stuff. But what you're really longing for is relationship. What you're really longing for is a sense of community. And, and the more we consume the more it leads us back to this individualism that I'm just going to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And you get stuck in this cycle. Uh, and, and we're stuck in this cycle as, as a society where we have completely separated ourselves from one another. We were not meant to live like this. This is not the way God intended for us to live. We were meant to be relational. In fact, here's what John Ortberg says. He's a a Christian author. He says, I have never known anyone who was isolated, lonely, unconnected, and had no deep relationships, yet had a meaningful and joy-filled life. Um, God God never um, desired for us to live in isolation or to be alone. And we can easily live a life around people without ever living our life with people. You follow? We can live a life around people, but never live a life with people. Let me tell you, one of the loneliest places I've ever been uh, was walking the streets of New York City. I was surrounded by everyone, uh, but I felt, I just felt alone. There were so many people, yet I was alone. And that's not what God has, has designed us for. Um, author Randy Frazee calls this crowded loneliness. Crowded loneliness. And we have to understand that, that community is under siege. And let me tell you why I believe that, that this sense of community, this sense of fellowship that we, especially as Christians, are meant to have, I believe that, that community is under siege because it's part of God's design for who we are. And, and actually, we take that a little bit further, we see that it's a part of who God is. It's a part of his personality. And so Satan wants nothing more than to disrupt what God has designed and, and to attack the very character and nature of God. And so we're going to briefly look at that this morning. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to see that, that really God's design is for us to live in community. God's design is for us to live in community. Now let me give you a little bit of background of Genesis chapter 2. It comes after Genesis chapter 1. I know some of you math scholars are surprised by that. But Genesis chapter 1, we get this big overview of everything that God has created. He gives us a big overview, and now in chapter 2, he's going to focus specifically on the creation of man. If you go back and read chapter 1, the first five days, it says, and God created, and there was morning, and there was evening, and it was good. It was good. It was good. And then we read about the creation of man. He created them male and female. He created them. And then it says, and God saw all that he had done, 
and it was very good. God's creation of man was the pinnacle of his creation. Why? Because we were created in his image and his likeness. And so Moses, as he's writing Genesis by the revelation of God, feels like he needs to give special emphasis to how man came about in in the beginning of mankind. And so we read this in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. We're getting a little bit more in depth, and he says this. He says, The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper as his complement. Now, let us just focus on that first part. God says, It is not good for man to be alone. Now, a lot of times we read this, and we read that Adam was lonely. Is that what it says? You can talk in church, remember? Is that what it says? No, it says Adam was alone, not lonely. Now, when it says Adam was alone, we get a, a clue as to what that means in saying that there was not a, uh, I will make a helper as his compliment. There wasn't anyone like Adam. There wasn't any other thing like Adam. There were the animals and there was God. So obviously he wasn't lonely, but he was alone in that the very thing that God had tasked him to do, all the animals had someone to help them that looked like them, to fulfill their command that God gave them. But Adam had no one. Adam didn't have anyone like him. And so God says, you know what? We're going ma- to make someone for Adam. We're going to make someone for Adam. We're going to make him a compliment. Now, now, here's the thing. Why is this such a big deal? The big deal is this. If we go back to Genesis 1, 26, uh, we read this. So God, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. We are created in the image and likeness of God. And as such, we are meant to live in community. And here's what we have to understand, that God exists in community. And you say, well, how is that so? Think about the Trinity. Right? And I want us to, to look at this just a little bit. Genesis chapter 1. Uh, I'm going to do my best to explain the Trinity. And, and what you're going to see here, what we see throughout Scripture, and this is a very ancient diagram, ancient picture. Um, no, no description of the Trinity is fully going to comprehend and be able to illustrate to us the reality of God. But this is kind of the best that we have over the thousands of years that, as we've understood it. Um, the first is that we have God the Father. We have God the Holy Spirit and God the Son, who is Jesus Christ. And what this picture shows is that the Son is not the Father, the Father is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Son. So they are three separate personalities. Uh, We say persons a lot of time, but they're not really human in the sense, but three separate persons of the Trinity. Yet the Son is God, the Father is God, and the Spirit is God. So how many gods are there? One God. Let's take a look and see some of this from Scripture. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Then God, the word God that's there is the word Elohim. Elohim is a plural word in the Hebrew. Now, some people read this and they think that this is a plural of plenitude, meaning that it's describing how great our God is, that our God is so big, our God is so great, uh, that, that he needs multiple uh, plural words to describe how great he is. And, and I believe that that is a reality, but I also believe that this is pointing to the reality that God exists uh, in, a, in a plurality of persons as one God. And where do we get the one God? Uh, real quick, we're not, don't turn there. It'll take a little too much time, but Deuteronomy 6, chapter 4. This is the Shema. Every Hebrew child would have had this memorized. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is how many? 
The Lord is one. The Lord is one. Now, here's the interesting thing. In the Hebrew, the word that's used there, echad, everybody say that, echad. That's E, phlegm, E-D, right? That's how you spell that. So, echad, the Lord is one. If you go back to Genesis chapter 2, and you read about God bringing Adam and Eve together, it says the two were made one. It's describing a unity. And so I believe when, when Moses uses this word, he's not just saying that we worship only one God. He's talking about a unity within the Godhead. That there is Elohim, this God who exists in a plurality of persons, yet he is united as one God. He is united as one God. Are we tracking? Does that make sense so far? All right, so how many persons in the Godhead? Three. How many gods? One. Good. You guys are following me so far. This is, uh, this is going really well. So We've got one God, three persons united. And a lot of times we look for, uh, people say, well, where do we see the Trinity in Scripture? Where do we get this? The word Trinity is never there, but there's a lot of evidence that demonstrates this throughout Scripture. Let me just point you to a few more. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13 says this, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son, and the love of God, that would be the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So we have this presence of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. More than that, you go to Matthew 28, 18 through 29. Jesus gives us the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the... And of the Holy Spirit, right? So we have Jesus himself teaching his disciples about the existence of one God with three persons, each having distinct responsibility within the Godhead and a different role. Uh, does that make sense? Are we, are we following on this? Everybody tracking on this? Uh, I'm doing the best I can, but it's one of those things that uh, I believe until we are in the presence of God himself, it's not something we can fully comprehend with, with our minds of how this works. But it's important that we see that before God ever created man, before he ever created anything, there was a community. There were relationships that existed. And so as someone created in the image and likeness of God, we too were meant to exist in community and in relationship with others who are like us. And look back at Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 20 says this. God is, has, he said, let us make a helper as his complement. And then it says this in 20. The man gave names to all the animals. So here's what's happening. God realizes that Adam is alone. And he realizes that he hasn't given Adam any helper. Now, did God, like, what's the deal? God, did you make a mistake? Did he forget? No, God doesn't forget. God, I think God is doing this on purpose. He wants Adam to see how important relationships are. And so what does he do? He says, look, let's bring all the animals in and let the man give them names. Let the man give them names. And as he's naming them, he's saying, oh, there's a male and female horse. There's a male and female uh, wolf. There's a male and female elephant. There, there's, a, there's like two of everything except me. I'm alone. And I think God brings him to a point where he realizes that he is missing out on something by not having someone like him to be in relationship with him. And then God says, ah, now, now he understands. It says, the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the eye, uh, sky, and every wild animal. But for man, no helper was found as his complement. So the Lord... The next thing, God causes him to go to sleep, and he forms out of his side woman and brings him to him and says, here, here is your first relationship. Now, this goes way beyond just the marriage relationship. 
Uh, I believe God, God's intention was for Adam to experience the kind of relationships um, that he experiences within the Godhead beyond just the marriage relationship. Because what you've got to realize is their first command is to multiply. So that creates more and a different kind of relationship. And from there, those people were to multiply. They were to fill the earth with other creatures who were made in the image of God. That was the command that God gives them. And God says, hey, fill the earth uh, with others like you, with others like yourself who've been created in my image and my likeness and experience and enjoy that community that I have created you for, that you long for. And so they do that. They begin to follow. And I love what it says when it talks about Adam being alone. It says, it is not good. It is not good. It is not good for us to live alone. Um, Christian psychologist Henry Cloud says, God created us with a hunger for relationship, for relationship with him and with our fellow people. At our very core, we are relational beings. The soul cannot prosper without being connected to others. God has designed each and every one of us for a longing and for a desire to live in community. And not only that, he, his desire is that it would be a blessing to us. It's a special thing that he created for us as human beings in his likeness and his image to be able to bless us. In fact, so much that it, it's God's prayer that you would be in community. God's prayer is that you would be in community. And if you look at John 17, John 17, this is Jesus' high priestly prayer for each and every one of us. He is on his way to the cross, and he prays, prays for himself, prays for, um, uh, for the work that he's about to accomplish, and then he prays for his disciples, and then he prays for all those who would believe through his disciples. That is you and me. And God's prayer in here, right, because Jesus is God, so God's prayer for us is that we would experience this genuine community and meaningful relationships characterized by the oneness with him and with one another. And we see this in in John chapter 17, beginning in verse 20. Jesus says, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their message. May they all be, what? One, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they be, what? One in us. So the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me. May they be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be made completely one so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you loved me. Now, what is Jesus praying for? His focus is completely on his followers, and and he is concerned in his last moments on this earth, he is concerned with the depth of relationship that we will experience. And his prayer is that, Father, just as you, me, and the Spirit have experienced this unity throughout all eternity, my prayer is that they would have an opportunity to experience that. That as they believe and put their trust in me as their Savior, that, that they would experience that oneness with you and that they would experience that oneness with one another. That they would be one even as you and I are one. Christ's prayer for us was that we would experience community. Jesus wanted his followers to experience the relationships characterized by mutual encouragement support, love, and honor. This is his prayer. Uh, he's also concerned about the watching world. Notice that his, his prayer isn't just so that we can feel good about ourselves. 
right? He doesn't say, God, just, just let them enjoy life and, and have fun. There is a purpose behind his desire for us to experience unity, and it's the watching world. He says, so that they may believe you sent me. Who is they? They are the unbelievers. That they may believe you sent me, that our unity, our community, is an expression of the gospel. John 13. John 13 is another example of this where Jesus says, I give you a new commandment. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you must also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus' prayer over and over and over again is that within the body of Christ, all those who have believed, that we would experience that kind of community and that out of that kind of community, out of that kind of relationship, would come a a tremendous testimony to the watching world. And I'd encourage you this week, I I challenge you, we don't have time to go there, but read through Acts chapter 2. And you're going to see some of the characteristics that come out of that, uh, that that as you read that, you're going to see this amazing group of people who are fully devoted to the mission that God has given them to reach the people around them and to spread the gospel. And you're going to see what it looks like when everyone comes together and does that. I, I, I just encourage you to do that this week. So we have God's design created in his image. And that means that we would live in relationship just as he is in relationship. We have God's prayer. God's prayer for us to experience that same kind of relationship that he's experienced for all eternity. And lastly, what do we do? Um, how do we accomplish this? And we see this in God's plan. God's plan. If there's any place in the world that you should find a sense of community, it's the church. It's the church. Um, the, the place of community that you ought to experience with other believers is here in the church. And as a church, it's our desire that everyone who walks through our doors, uh, we tell our, our greeters and ushers uh, and, and our staff members and everyone who's here on Sunday morning that serves children's ministry, that every person who walks through our door is a gift from God, and we want them to be treated that way. And it's our desire and our prayer that everyone would, uh, would be loved and cared for and, and accepted uh, in a way that, that points them to a relationship with Jesus Christ and, and fosters an environment where they can truly grow, where we can truly grow and mature as believers. And, and that's what, what the church community ought to look like. And it doesn't happen automatically. We can still be individualistic in our thinking. And there are many out there who would say, you know what, I, I think it's okay. As long as I'm a believer in Jesus, I don't really need to go to church. And, and I would challenge you uh, to read through the, the New Testament and read how many times there's a command given for one another. Love one another, serve one another, be hospitable to one another, encourage one another, rebuke one another, admonish one another. Now, how can you do those one another's if you're by yourself? You can't. A growing, maturing relationship with Christ, a growing walk with Him requires that we be in community with one another. Um, It's by his design, and it's part of his prayer. God wants us to be a family that experiences these these kind of meaningful relationships. Um, Here at at River Rock, we say this often. uh, We don't go to church. We, We are the church. We are the church. Church is not something we go to. It's something for us to be. And we, we want it to be extremely clear that the church is to be a distinctive community. The world around us ought to look at us, not just on Sunday morning, but Monday through Saturday. They ought to look at us and say, I want what they have. 
I've never experienced anything like that. I want that in my life. I need that in my life. And allow us the opportunity to introduce them to Jesus Christ as the first step to experiencing that kind of community. And here's the other reality. As we talk about how our, our, our community, our unity, brings us uh, as a witness to the world, not only for ourselves, but, but to the world around us. Think about this. Adam and Eve, Adam specifically, was put on this earth and he was given a command to multiply and to fill the earth with other people created in the image of God. Now that is not something, as hard as he may try, that is not something Adam could do alone. You following? Adam needed a relationship in order to complete the task that God had given him to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with other people who were image bearers of God. In the same way as followers of Jesus Christ, we have been given a task to be fruitful and to multiply through the spread of the the gospel men, women, and children who would be changed and transformed into the likeness of God's Son, Jesus Christ. And that is not something that we can do alone. We must do it in community with one another. Uh, we say that, that we don't go to church, but we are the church. And, and God's desire is for us to experience this kind of community. But, you know, as great a church as, as I believe we have here, is that really something we can accomplish on a Sunday morning? Is that something that we can really say that we have, that I have true community just by being here on a Sunday morning? And, and I would say the answer to that is no. We have a great church, um, we have great volunteers, we have great people, but that true sense of community that God designed you for and that he is praying uh, for you to experience is not something that we can experience just on Sunday morning. You've heard us say it a lot and we'll continue to say it, that life happens in circles, not in rows. Right now you're in a row, um, but, but life doesn't happen in rows, it happens in circles. It happens when you're sitting around someone's living room, around the coffee table, and you're getting to share uh, about the, the pregnancy that's coming. Or you're sitting around someone's dinner table, and you're grieving over the loss of a loved one. Um, this last week, my community group, my wife and I, we did Dave Ramsey this last year with the church. How many of you did Dave Ramsey? You remember that? We did Dave Ramsey as a church. We finally, after 10 years, paid off her student loan, and we got to celebrate that with our community group. That was an awesome feeling to have other people there encouraging us. You're doing a great job. You're following the Lord in the way you're using your finances. We, we encourage you to keep doing that. Don't give up. And that's God's desire for us. And, and our answer to that as River Rock Bible Church is to encourage every single person who attends here to be a part of a community group. And as best as I can try to describe it, I think it's best if we hear from a family who's been a part of our community group um, Jackie and John Escalera. I'm going to invite them up at this time. If you guys would just come on up. Uh, a little bit about John and Jackie. They are my neighbors, and uh, they are part of uh, our community group. But I just wanted them to share a little bit about their experience. And um, John, Jackie, just tell us a little bit about how you guys got to River Rock and then um, what's been going on in your life for the past year and how community groups has played a part in that. Um, we moved here a, a little over a year ago, and um, as soon as we moved, pretty soon after that, he left for some training and then deployed with the military. So we found out through River Rock, through our neighbors, and started coming. I started coming, actually, after he'd already deployed, and um, I just I knew that I could find 
family here, not just through Sunday morning, but through community group. And I think it did make a big difference for me to just have that close, small, intimate circle that we would meet with every week and just have people that I felt like I could really talk to, ask to pray with, and they became more than just friends or church members, but really our second family away from home. And John, would you just share a little bit? You, you've just joined us in the last month, uh, coming home from deployment. Let's thank him for his service. Um, John, what has it meant to you from afar to know that your family is, is connected to a community like this? Yeah, so for me, I mean, my career has brought me so many places for long periods of time. So a lot of times I experience community group just from a distance, just talking to my wife. So what it gives me the most is peace of mind. Uh, whenever I leave, we've done it so much, I just have a checklist of things I do. I get a uh, yard service. You know, I make sure the cars, fluids are topped off. I make sure everything's good to go and I can check it off. But when I'm gone and I'm talking to my wife, a lot of these things I can fix with my wallet. You know, if something breaks down, it's material. It's something that I can fix. But I can't buy that sense of community, and I can't. That's something individually that we have to seek out as a family and, you know, as the spiritual leader of my house. You know, I, I would like to just look for that when I'm home, and that's something that I can add to my checklist before I leave again. Awesome. So I think it just buys you that peace of mind, and I'm, I'm really happy with it. Awesome. Thank you guys for sharing this morning. Appreciate you. We just want to encourage you this morning. We've seen God has designed us to live in community with one another. Jesus' very prayer for us at the end of his life was that we would be able to experience the kind of community that he experiences. Uh, and he's given us a place where we can experience that within the church. And we truly believe that community groups is, is that place for us to do that. And uh, we just want to encourage you, whether you're a first-time visitor, there is, there's no commitment to uh, joining a community group just by going to check it out. Um, next Sunday, the 28th, all of our community groups are going to be kicking off. We've got a few new ones that are ramping up back again. And we believe that being a part of a community group is not only going to minister to your soul personally, it's not only going to encourage you and help you grow spiritually, but part of, and this is what I truly believe, one of the biggest parts of being a part of a community group is being able to minister to someone else, that you get to walk with them, that you get to experience the highs and lows of their life, and you get to experience something that, that you've never experienced before and that you can't experience anywhere else. And so I want to encourage you this morning, check that box on your connection card. I'm interested in a community group. If you're already a part of one, I would just encourage you to reconnect right where you are, right back with your old community group. Um, if you're new here and you want to be a part of a, a new group, we'd encourage you to see Stephen back at the connections table and, and get involved. College students, don't feel like this is just for the adults. We, we got you covered as well. We know uh, you guys have busy schedules, but we want you to be connected as well. Um, and it's our prayer that you would do that. And as we do this, let me tell you, it is amazing to be on the front row and to see people's lives changed as, as God works in and through them. And just like we talked about that eternal perspective, uh, my Wednesday morning starts at about 4 o'clock. I, I get up and I, I get ready for elder board meeting, go to elder board meeting, which is one of the highlights of my, my week. But I get to end my day with my community group. And as tired as I may be at 4 o'clock and ready to go to bed, uh, knowing that my community group is going is to be at our house soon and what is going to happen in that time uh, just keeps me going. 
it keeps me going, and, and I go to bed actually more energized than if I had gotten to sleep late that morning. Um, and it's just an amazing thing, and we would encourage you to, to be a part of that. Fulfill God's design for you. Um, be a part of his prayer for you, and be a part of his plan for you and for the world. This morning as we move to take two, I just want to encourage you to uh, open your bulletins. You'll see a spot in there that says, uh, this morning, uh, it says, I will. And that is your opportunity to respond to what God is saying this morning. What are you going to do about what God is saying? Is there a community that you need to connect with? And and below that, there's a a place to write down what you're going to do about it this week. So just take a second, write down what God is saying to you this morning and what you'll do about what he is saying as we take two.